Welcome to Hitting Pater by Impact Sports, episode number two. I'm Alex Beaudry, and it being a Wednesday episode, I am all by myself. We'll be joined by Mike again on Sunday for the release of the Monday podcast. Um, so as I mentioned at the end of episode number one, the Wednesday podcast that I'll be releasing on Thursdays is going to be a little bit more technical driven. Um, so today I'm going to discuss individual player contracts and how they impact a team's salary cap. First, let's look at the different components of a player contract and what goes into calculating a cap number. So when you're computing the salary cap number, there's a number of factors that go into it. And I'll break each of these factors down throughout the podcast here. So the first is your paragraph five salary, or another way of saying a player's base salary, what they are being paid for that year. Then signing bonus proration, excuse me, option bonus proration, other amounts that are treated like signing bonus, and I'll get into what that means, and then any incentives for the year, whether those are likely to be earned in the current year or they're not likely to be earned if they are earned they will go into the cap number for the following year. So the six components, again, paragraph five salary, signing bonus proration, option bonus proration, other amounts that are treated as signing bonus, likely to be earned incentives or not likely to be earned incentives from the prior year. Obviously, depending on the contract, not all of those are going to have an impact on a player's certain year. Um, but a player could technically have all of those components in their contract, and all of that needs to be looked at when determining that player's impact on the salary cap for that current year. So let's start with the paragraph five salary, or again, the base salary, which is probably how most people think of it. Um, It's called a paragraph five salary because of where it is in the standard player agreement. Um, fun fact, and you know, it's a little self-deprecating humor here. Um, I had no idea when I was studying for the exam why it was called the paragraph five salary. It's referenced over and over and over again in the in the CBA, and I was just studying the CBA. I didn't see it in there. It took me until I actually read a player agreement that I said, "Hey, this is the number five bullet point. That makes sense. It's the fifth paragraph." Uh, so, a uh, little bit of insight into how slow of a learner I am. (laughs) Okay, so the base salary is what a player is going to get paid throughout the course of the year, their base salary. It always counts in full for the year that it is earned, even if it's not guaranteed. Let's assume a player has a base salary of $18 million per year that player will get paid weekly for those 18 weeks. Now that we have a 17 game season, the bye week counts. So they get paid over 18 weeks. They would get a million dollars of base salary per game or per week. Um, Now with this collective bargaining agreement, 
those players will get 50% of that over 36 weeks. So the, the new CBA set to spread those payments out for cash flow purposes so that players aren't making all of their money between September and December, um, maybe into January, depending on the regular season schedule. Um, they've now spread it over 36 weeks, so players have cash coming in much longer throughout the year. If a contract is terminated, though, they will get all of that money when they're terminated within a certain time frame. Okay, so uh, paragraph five salary, that's essentially how it works. Pretty simple. Signing bonus. So this is paid as a bonus for signing a new contract. Uh, usually a player will get that money within 10 days or so. The unique thing about signing bonuses is that the amount is prorated over the length of the contract for a, up to a maximum of five years. So for example, a player signs a $10 million signing bonus for a five-year deal, $2 million per year will count against the cap. So the player gets the money up front and it's guaranteed, right? Cash in pocket. The team gets to spread out that signing bonus throughout the course of the year. Um, and that includes things like void years, which have kind of exploded in recent years with the with the salary cap actually decreasing in 2021 due to COVID. A lot of teams renegotiated deals, added void years onto new contracts so that they could still pay players their market worth, but spread out the, the salary cap implications into future years where the salary cap is expected to go back up. One example may be Taysom Hill. Um, his deal last year, which was reported as like a $140 million deal or whatever it was, well, really it was much, much less than that. And he signed essentially a one-year deal with three void years to help spread out his $9.7 million signing bonus. So it's a tool that teams can use to ease the salary cap burden while paying the player in year one, basically guaranteeing that money because the player gets it. There are implications to a team for doing that. Um, the biggest is signing bonus acceleration. Um, you'll see in the, in the media reported as dead cap. Um, Carson Wentz is probably the most recent example. When he signed his big contract extension with the Philadelphia Eagles, a lot of that was due, a lot of what he received was in signing bonus and other guarantees. Well, when the Eagles decided to move on and trade him, all of the amounts that were left in future years in terms of signing bonus proration accelerated to the current year. Now, there are some differences based on whether the player was released before or after June 1st. That's probably a topic for another podcast. But do note that when a player, when a team decides to move on for a player, whether they cut him or they trade him, all of that prorated money that's still outstanding comes forward. So for example, in my $10 million five-year deal signing bonus example, if after the third year, the team decides to move on from the player, there would still be $4 million in proration. Instead of paying $2 million over the last two years, the team would pay all $4 million in that current year. Again, I understand there's some distinctions between before or after June 1st. Again, we'll talk about that at a later date but that's essentially how that works. So there are some 
implications for teams, especially if they decide to move on from a player. The last thing I'll say about signing bonus proration, you will see a lot of this in the offseason where teams will convert paragraph five salaries into a signing bonus. So for example, a player's got a $20 million paragraph five salary for this year, and they still have another couple years on their deal, they'll convert $10 million of that to signing bonus. The player gets paid. Agents like it because now they get paid sooner because an agent does not get paid until their player gets paid. And the team likes it because they can now take that $10 million and divide it into three or four years, however many years are left on that deal. Um, and they can ease their cap burden for the current year. It's a little bit of kicking the can down the road because now if you move on from that player, there's dead cap. Um, you're now adding caps onto f- cap implications into future years, but teams will do that to ease the current year burden with the hope that the salary cap's going to go up and they'll be able to handle it in future years. The next item is the option bonus. This is a bonus that if it's in a player's contract will be paid for a team picking up an option year. This only applies to veteran deals. It does not apply to the fifth year rookie options for first round draft picks. Um, Those draft picks, when that option is picked up, uh, it does fully guarantee their year five salary and potentially any year four salary that's not guaranteed. Um, But this would not apply to rookie deals. This is only for veterans who have an option bonus specified in their contract. This can also be prorated for future years. So um, Josh Allen, I believe, has this in his contract where, you know, his year one salary is X and then in year two they can pick up an option for year four. Well, he would be paid in year two for the team exercising that bonus and whatever that amount is can be spread out over future years of the contract beginning in the year where the team exercised the option. So again, it's another way of getting the player money sooner, which is which should be the goal, get as much guaranteed money as soon as possible. And the teams can spread out that bonus over future years to again, lower salary cap implications. Um, so this is a little bit more rare. Signing bonus happens all the time. Option bonus is gonna depend on the individual contract but it's another tool in the team's toolkit to spread out salary cap. Okay, before I get into the other bonuses like roster bonuses, workout bonuses, reporting bonuses, um, I think it's important to talk about likely to be earned incentives versus not likely to be earned. Likely to be earned incentives are counted in the current year and the easiest way to describe it is would the player have earned the incentive in the previous year? So, you know, an example is, you know, in 2020, you run for a thousand yards as a running back. This year, you have a million dollar bonus for rushing for at least 800 yards. Well, because in the previous year, you ran for a thousand yards, the assumption is you will run for a thousand again you are likely to earn that incentive. A 
likely to be earned incentive is counted against the current cap. A not likely to be earned incentive is the exact opposite. Let's say that you get a million dollar bonus for running for 1,200 yards. Well, you only ran for 1,000 yards the year before. You are not expected to run for 1,200. That would be a not likely to be earned incentive. Now, if you do run for 1,200 yards, that million dollar bonus is paid, but it will not count in this year's salary cap. It would count in 2022. Um, I've heard reported some like interesting things like on Tom Brady's contract where when he signed his extension with Tampa, and this was reported by SpotTrack and I think others, where, you know, let's say Tampa was the 25th ranked rushing team. Well, if they finish better than that, he gets some incentive. So it's, it's, an, it's an incentive that will likely be paid to Brady, but not until future years because they have to finish better in this year than where they were last year, so the incentive is not likely to be earned. That is the big difference. So those are what we consider what we what are called performance bonuses or performance incentives. And they have an impact on some of these other bonuses. So the next bonus that I'll talk about is a roster bonus. Um, it's a bonus for being on the active and active list on a certain date or per game. So for example, a player may have a $500,000 bonus per game that they're on the active or inactive list. So essentially not on IR, not on non-football injury list, um, not on the pup list. They have to be on the active or inactive list. Full pay status is another way to put it. Um, that bonus would be treated exactly like what I just described with likely to be earned or not likely to be earned. So if a player played in all 16 games last year and he's got a 16-game roster bonus this year, that would be considered likely to be earned, and he that, that number would be counted in the current year. Now let's assume that a player only played in eight games last year, and now he's got a 16-game roster bonus that would be not likely to be earned because he did not accomplish it in the previous year. To throw in one more wrinkle, it can be counted as signing bonus, what we call other amount treated as signing bonus, if the amount is fully guaranteed. And when I say fully guaranteed, I mean for skill, injury, or salary cap purposes. So it is important, a lot of times in the media, you'll see a report that, you know, player X signed a $60 million deal and 30 million of it is guaranteed. It is extremely important to understand what guaranteed means. If it's fully guaranteed, then it's guaranteed. And I know that sounds stupid, but if it's only guaranteed for injury, that means that player can still be cut for skill, meaning he's not performing the way the team expects him to, or for salary cap purposes, meaning uh, the team needs to cut him for financial reasons. That contract is not guaranteed under those two other scenarios. So if it's fully guaranteed, so it's for skill, injury, and salary cap purposes, that roster bonus may be prorated, just like signing bonus. Furthermore, the last thing I'll say on roster bonuses is 
any roster bonus that occurs in the offseason. So, for example, a player gets a bonus for being on the roster on the third day of the league year. That is considered likely to be earned automatically. Okay. I know that was probably a little convoluted. There's a lot there, but it's kind of important to get those distinctions correct. Reporting bonuses. This is a bonus for reporting to training camp. Um, Again, if it's fully guaranteed, it can be treated as signing bonus and can be prorated. A reporting bonus is automatically considered likely to be earned. Um, So no matter what, a reporting bonus is going to be calculated in the current year. If it's not fully guaranteed, it would all count in year one. If it's fully guaranteed, you can prorate it similar to signing bonus. Um, Off-season workout bonuses, so a player can have in his contract some sort of incentive bonus to um, show up to the team facility and conduct their workouts. Uh, you'll see this, I, you know, uh, Aaron Rodgers had one in his deal, I believe. And obviously with kind of the off-season drama on whether he was going to show up to camp or not, retire, whatever he may have wanted to do, um, he obviously wasn't coming to Green Bay to conduct his workouts. He forfeited that bonus. Um, an off-season workout bonus is automatically considered likely to be earned. Um, it will be counted in the current year. And again, if it's fully guaranteed, it can be treated as an other amount, treated as signing bonus, and therefore prorated. One thing about, so we talked about what happens if a not likely to be earned incentive is accomplished. Obviously, the player gets the bonus, and the salary cap counts next year. The opposite is true if a likely to be earned incentive is not met. So, you know, a player has a $1 million incentive bonus and they don't hit it, but the team may have been applying that in the current year for salary cap purposes, they will get a credit for the following year in terms of their salary cap. So it's not like they lost out or anything. Um, This all gets moved around. The cap is very fluid. That's why I don't ever believe what the salary cap number is. I think this year it's 183 or 185. No team has $183 million salary cap. You can carry over amounts from previous years. Players get cut in the middle of the year. New players get added. It's a very fluid structure um, and something to kind of be aware of. So those are the different components that go into how the salary cap is calculated. And when looking at an individual player's contract, you need to look at all of those different factors in determining what that player's salary cap number is. So a lot of times you'll see like player X has an average annual value of $10 million, meaning over the course of their contract, they're going to average $10 million a year. That number is pretty useless when it comes to the salary cap because it's all going to depend on how much was the signing bonus, what's the base salary amount, do they have these other incentives baked in, And all of that needs to be looked at when looking at the salary cap. And teams have a lot of flexibility and wiggle room to manipulate that number in order to get under the salary cap. Okay, to kind of wrap all of this up, I want to talk about cash versus cap. When a player gets paid versus the charge to the team. 
So I'm going to look at Trevor Lawrence as an example. And all of the numbers I have are from SpotTrack.com. Rookie deals are really easy because there's not as much creativity in them. There's only certain things that a team can negotiate on a rookie deal, which makes the examples much easier. You could do the same exercise with a veteran contract, but you would have to know the specifics, which isn't always easy to get a hold of. And there's just a lot more that goes into it. So I picked a rookie. Uh, Trevor Lawrence was the first overall pick. He signed a four-year, $36.7 million deal. $24.1 million of that was signing bonus. So from a cash perspective, he received $24.1 million pretty much immediately, likely within 10 days or so of signing his deal this summer. His base salary, his paragraph five salary for 2021 is $660,000. That is the league minimum for a player with no accrued seasons or no credited seasons for salary in 2021. That number will jump to $825,000 next year, $940,000 the year after, and then $1.05 million in the fourth and final year of the deal. Obviously, if he if his if the Jaguars pick up his fifth year option, that will depend on did he reach any Pro Bowls or other performance incentives. Um, probably a topic for another podcast. But that's how his paragraph five salary will operate over the first four years of his contract. Again, the paragraph five salary is paid over 36 weeks. So from a cash perspective, Trevor Lawrence received $24.1 million for signing his contract. But over the course of the next four years, he's going to be making between $660,000 and 1.05 million spread out over 36 weeks per year. So the player needs to understand that because he's going to get a lot of money up front and then he's going to have a slower trickle of money in over the course of the deal. Now, what's interesting about his contract is you may be wondering, well, how did we get to 36.7 by only having 24.1 plus another couple million of P5? He does have some roster bonuses that are paid when achieved. Um, so that amount makes up the difference. Um, and those will be paid in years two, three, and four. So <clears throat> he does have a little bit more cash coming in when those roster bonuses are achieved, which I would assume he's going to hit. So um, that will make up the difference. So his $36.7 million um, is essentially fully guaranteed. So. By the end of the fourth year, he will have made that full 36.7. So that's how it works from a cash perspective. Now, when we look at the salary cap, it's much different. So again, that $24.1 million signing bonus, that is prorated over the first four years of his contract. So essentially for easy math, $6 million per year. The paragraph five, you pay the full amount in the year it's earned, and the roster bon bonus also counts in the year it's earned. So his year one salary cap number will be $6.68 million. That number will jump up in year two to $8.362 million. In year three, it goes to just over $10 million, 
and then in year four, it's 11.7 million. So you can see the difference in cash versus cap, and the cap is much more evenly spread out, again, due to this signing bonus proration, and this is also why teams that have really good quarterbacks on their rookie deals, think of Russell Wilson back when he was in his rookie deal, have a huge advantage to other teams because Trevor Lawrence's cap number is 6.68 million. There will be other top tier quarterbacks that will have a cap number approaching $40 million in future years. So it's a huge advantage if you can hit gold and get your franchise quarterback and to have them on their rookie deal because financially it's a much different story than paying a veteran quarterback. So that's a very high level overview of how NFL contracts work and how the salary cap number is calculated on an individual level. Um, we'll probably dive into more components of this, you know, credited seasons versus accrued seasons, how free agency works, uh, the 25% rule on rookie deals, all of those types of things in due time. But for this first technical episode, I wanted to keep it at a high level, give you a better understanding of how the salary cap works how players are actually paid and um, you know start from there as we kind of build this out over the next several weeks and months if you'd like more content like this please subscribe to my substack again that's impactsportsmanagement.substack.com you can follow me at twitter at impact sports management i m p c t sports m g m t or on Instagram at impact sports underscore football. Um, thanks for listening. Please share. And uh, one other quick note, have a phenomenal Thanksgiving. Um, enjoy the football games tomorrow. And I will talk to all of you on Sunday. Gobble, gobble. Bye.